Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Rusty, and welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. This is our first ever episode to be recorded, and we are super pumped to get this thing off the ground. So thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and we thought it would be really fun for these first few episodes to uh, take some of the messages from a series we did earlier this year called It Happens. I'm sure you're going to love what you hear, and uh, here's Greg giving the first episode from It Happens. Enjoy. Well, today we're kicking off a new message series entitled, It Happens. It does, doesn't it? Life happens. It's real. And it's not a make-believe. It's not a fairy tale. This is not Disney World. This is not a movie. This is real life. And my experience, both my personal experience and my experience as a pastor tells me that life happens not in the shallow end, not in the shallow end of the pool where the water is shallow, but life happens in the deep end, where it's really deep. It's sink or swim, where the water's over our heads, where you have to just work really hard in, in your arms and your legs, and you have to spend tons of effort just to keep your head above the waterline. Are you in the deep end today? You know, recently I picked up my eight-year-old son who's in second grade. I picked him up from school. And when I picked him up, he was just in tears and he was all upset. And of course, as a parent, my heart was crushed. And I'm like, like, buddy. And he goes, dad, I just had a terrible day. Like, well, what happened? I'm so sorry. He goes on to tell me that his friends were mean to him. My friends were mean to me today, Dad. At PE, they wouldn't let me play soccer. They, they wouldn't put me on one of the team. And as a dad of this precious little eight-year-old, I didn't want to like crush him. I didn't want to be negative. But, right, you know this, right? This is life. This is real life. This is what happens. Right? There are kids at school who are not nice. You will be made fun of. Kids will call you names. You will be left out. There will be people that, that try to get you to do things that aren't right, that are just wrong. And, and as a parent, right, I'm trying to prepare him for life. I'm trying to say, hey, man, this is real life, and it's hard. But it's just hard. It's hard as a parent to, to coach an 8-year-old because it's hard for me. See, it happens. And we get this. You get this. Unless you live somewhere under a rock, you get this. And here's what we want to do the next few weeks in this conversation entitled, It Happens. Here's what we want to do. We want to look at your dreams, the life you want, the life you dream about. And then we want to look at your reality, your real life, where you really are. And what happens is there's this gap. There's a gap between what you dream about and what you want versus where you really are. And our goal and our desire, what we hope to accomplish and it happens, is to shine a light on the biggest threats to the life that you really want to live and the keys to overcoming them. We want to shine a light on these threats and these core issues that keep you from living the life you want to live, the life you dream of living. We want to help you and help me close the gap between who I am and who I long to be. Now, I want to even take this a step deeper because I think the stakes are even higher. 
See, because I believe you were created on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. And regardless of how you were conceived, you were not an accident. You are no accident. And I believe that, that God formed you in your mother's wombs and your looks and your personalities and your quirks and your talents and the gifts. And all of that is on purpose. And all of it has deep significance and meaning. And that you were made on purpose for a purpose. And I believe your ultimate purpose is only found in God, in a relationship with God, in life with God. Now, there was this first century follower of of Jesus. His, His name was Paul. And even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard of this guy named the Apostle Paul. And and he wrestled with this idea. In fact, he wrote a letter to uh, the church in a, in a city called Ephesus, and he was writing it to these believers in Ephesus, and he was like, hey guys, you, you got to get this. You just got to get this. And he wrote this, and it's found in, in what we call the New, New Testament now, Ephesians chapter 2.10. He says this, he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Jesus so that we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. Here's what he's saying. He says, hey, you are God's masterpiece. God created you to thrive. You're a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You are are one of a kind. And God created you in Jesus so that you can do what? Good things. And there's a specific plan and a purpose for you and for your life, and it's bigger than you. And despite how you may be feeling right now, God has good things, great things planned for you, for you to do. And Paul even says, he he planned these long ago. There are no accidents. But what happens? Right? Life happens. It happens. And life has a way of beating you down. Life has a way of squashing your hopes and your dreams. Life has a way of leading you and me into discouragement. And it happens slowly. It's not an instant. It happens over time, not at once. It creeps in over time and there's these threats and these issues and what they do is they sabotage the life you were meant to live, the life that you were created for. And this is where we want to go these next few weeks. This is where we want to go today for just a few minutes. How do you overcome the greatest challenges that no one expects and everyone experiences? And there's these core issues, there's these threats that we that we all face regardless of your age, regardless of your country of origin, regardless of your your job, your socioeconomic status, regardless of even where you are on the whole faith spectrum and belief in Jesus. Every one of us, we all face these core threats and issues. And much of what we're going to be talking about today is part of this inward journey that happens in our hearts and in our minds. And so I want to just get real, and we want to just look at these head on, and that's what we're going to do today and in the coming weeks. And so let's just jump right into the first threat. And I do want to give a quick shout out to um, a guy up in Canada named Kerry Newhoff, who's really helped shape a lot of our thinking around this topic. And here's the first threat that we want to talk about, and it's the threat of cynicism. Cynicism. My two oldest kids... Uh, attend a local public elementary school here in Miami, and it's a good school. In fact, we're very happy with the school, and my kids are really doing great in school. But going to the school office is more painful than root canal. See, because every time I go into the school office, 
I feel like I just should apologize to the school staff. It's like, I am so sorry for making you do your job. I've never had a pleasant experience in the office. No one's been kind to me. I don't feel a lot of respect. And I'm tempted to say, I've never said this, but I'm tempted to say, hey, what happened? Because at some point, right, you you got this job, you started this job, and I got to think that you cared. Right? Did you, did you want to help people? Did you care about kids? Were you passionate about education? I mean, you started with some hope. You started with some purpose. But what happened? See, over time, not overnight, not over a day, but over time, what happens? Parents are rude. I get it, man. There's some crazy parents around here. It's harder than you thought. There's politics in the school system. The, the pay's not great. You probably should be paid more. Your parking spot is way too far from the office. And what if it rains? It's terrible. You got to walk in the rain. And, and man, you have to be here early. I get it. School starts early and it's every morning. But what happens? Over time, what started with hope now becomes cynical and jaded. And now as a parent, one of the good ones, I hope, I avoid you at all costs. I warn my friends, do not go to the school office unless you just have to. Now, it's easy for me to sit here and pick on the office staff at at my kids' elementary school, but if I'm being honest, if I'm keeping it real, I'm cynical. I'm jaded. Right? And I think, oh, well, you know, it's just people. You know, I work with people, and that's that's just the way people are. People are, they're going to let me down. Eventually, everyone will let me down. Or our area here, it's so transitional. People are coming in, people and going, and, and just like, oh, well, they're just going to leave. And that's what people do. People just don't commit anymore. No one commits. They just kind of come. And I didn't set out to be cynical and jaded, and you didn't set out to be cynical and jaded. It's not like you wrote in your yearbook when your sophomore year of high school. It's not like you wrote, hey, right by your picture, like, hey, I hope to grow jaded and distrustful of humanity by the time I hit 40. I'm hoping my cynicism will damage my family and make me impossible to work with. Go Eagles, right? <laughs> no, instead, what? You were, you were optimistic. You were even hopeful. By the time you hit your early 20s, you were downright idealistic. You know how you wanted to make the world a better place, and you were intent on doing it. So how do you go from idealistic to cynical in just a few short years? You've seen it. I've seen it. It happens all around us, right? Your friend who has her heart broken many times now thinks no man can be trusted, right? Or your optimistic college roommate went into investment banking and is convinced that all of his colleagues are simply in it for themselves, which is exactly why he is now, too. Your neighbor, who's a police officer, has seen too much, too many times to believe the best in about anyone anymore. I mean, even your teammate at work, right? They shoot down every idea you bring to the table, instantly listing the many reasons your strategy is doomed to fail. Like, why so cynical? Let's just make a few observations here. See, cynicism starts not because you don't care, but because you do. It starts because you poured your heart into something and got little in return, or maybe you got something in return, but it was the opposite of what you desired. 
You fell in love only to have the relationship devolve. You threw your heart into your job only to be told you were letting go. You were completely there for your mom only to have her tell you you're such a disappointment. You see, most cynics are former optimists. And you would never know it, but there was a time when they were hopeful and enthusiastic and even cheerful. There, there's something inside the human spirit that wants to hope, that wants to think that things will get better. Nearly everyone, all of us, start life with a positive outlook. So what happens? How does it happen? I mean, you just know too much, right? I mean, you would think that knowledge is a good thing, but strangely enough, knowledge will often sadden you. I mean, if your heart hadn't been broken a dozen times by different people, you would find it easier to develop deep friendships. If your business partner hadn't sold you out and gutted the company, you might still believe, still be an entrepreneur. If your neighbors hadn't been so difficult, you would have never wanted to build the fence. But you know too much, right? You've experienced too much. And you've experienced the heartbreak and the betrayals and the backstabbing. You understand that people let you down. You have seen that people can't be trusted. You know love hurts. You realize people are fickle and selfish. You recognize not everyone succeeds despite good intentions and best efforts. And this knowledge often brings sorrow because the more you know, the more you see life for what it really is. Do you ever say this? Well, I just know how this ends. I just know where this is going. Right? This, this cynical type of thinking, right? The problem with this, the problem with this thinking, the problem living this way is that it caps your potential. It crushes your dreams. It keeps you from living this grander vision and purpose that I believe God has called you to live. So what's the answer? We just give up? Like, well, once a cynic, always a cynic. See, I actually believe that cynicism is a choice. Life doesn't make you cynical. You make you cynical. And cynicism will keep you from living the life you want to live. It will keep you from fulfilling your grander purpose. And probably the cruelest thing, the worst part about cynicism, is it's a complete loss of hope. Hope that the future will be better than the past. Hope that next time can be different. Hope that your heart can feel again. Now, Paul, this guy we mentioned earlier, Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the church, uh, the church in Ephesus, to followers of Jesus. And what's interesting about Paul is he had experienced so much in his life. I mean, he had been beaten, he'd had rocks thrown at him, he'd been bitten by a snake, he'd been shipped. All of these things have happened to Paul. And so he's writing to the church and he gives some great insight, some real practical advice. You could even say he gives advice on how to kick cynicism in the teeth. And he writes it, and it's in, it's in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. And I want to just walk this through for just a second. Here's what he says. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. And he says, Ever since I first heard about your strong faith in Jesus and your love for God's people. Now, Paul, just so you know, he's writing this from prison. It's probably been at least five years, if not more, since he has been to Ephesus. But he keeps hearing these reports. People keep coming back to him and says, Hey, this church over here in the city, you, you just got to know, man, their faith and their love. 
and they just have this strong faith in Jesus, and it's so it's so strong, and it continues to grow. and And Paul, they just love people. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And Paul keeps hearing these reports, and you see here, he says, "Hey, you know what? You want to kick cynicism in the teeth? These guys are doing it. You know what? They're practicing hospitality. There seems to be this openness to new people." And I'm telling you, friends, if you're open to new people, if you share a meal, if you sit around the table, if you ask questions, tons of questions, if you listen to stories, hospitality, opening yourself up to to new people and to conversations has a way of squashing cynicism. Now, I just want to brag on Miami Church for just a minute. You know, we we started this church just a couple of years ago on a patio here. And one of the things we said from day one is that Miami has this reputation of being one of the rudest cities in America. And you lots of experiences like I talked about at the school office, and all you got to do is drive up and down US-1 or I-95, and uh, people are, are blowing their horn at you and yelling at you, and there's all this, right? And Forbes magazine says, oh, we're the rudest city in America. And we take that personally. And we said from day one when we started this church that, hey, we, Miami can be branded whatever, the rudest city in America, but we want to create a church, we want to create a community that's the most friendliest and welcoming community in the city of Miami. And I just want to brag on you guys so much. You guys have created an incredible community of hospitality. Rarely a week goes by when someone doesn't come to me and just goes, Greg, I feel so welcomed here. I feel so, uh, like people just welcomed me in and open-armed, they were just welcoming me in. Paul keeps going. He says this. He says in verse 16, he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. So he's like, I'm getting all these reports about your faith in Jesus and your love for people and your hospitality. And it drives me to pray, but I'm praying actually a prayer of thanksgiving to God for you. I thought, man, that's really good, Paul. And my prayer for, for you, my prayer for me, is that we could kick cynicism in the teeth, that we could hold on to hope, and that no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens next month or next year, that we can stand firm and our faith not waver and not become jaded and cynical. Paul keeps writing, he says in verse 17, he's praying and he says, I'm praying, asking God, and the language here is just beautiful. I'm reading from the NLT. He says, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm praying to God, asking him to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. Spiritual wisdom and insight. What he's talking about here, he's talking about this knowing God beyond the surface, like, oh yeah, there's a God. No, no, no. He's talking about knowing deeply the heart and the integrity of God. Because the reality is, friends, that there will be times when life doesn't make sense, when God doesn't make sense, there will be times when you are frustrated. But Paul is saying, friends, I just want you to know God so deeply that I want you to be able just to trust his heart. I know you don't understand, but I want you to trust his heart. Underneath all of this here there's is this deep-seated sense of curiosity of wonder, of seeking, of of really even a desperation to know, asking questions, seeking to understand. God, I want to know you. I want to know your creation. I want to know these people. God, I just want to know. 
And here's the thing about curiosity. Curious people are never cynical, and cynical people are never curious. Because the curious are always interested. The curious are always hopeful. The curious are always open. See, I think one of the number one ways to combat cynicism is curiosity, a wonder of seeking, of pursuing, of just this interest, curiosity. Paul continues to write in verse 18, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Well, it's just fascinating language. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he, that's God, has given those who he called, his holy people who are rich and, and glorious inheritance. Or rich in his glorious inheritance. This, this, this imagery here, this flooded with light. I want to pray that your hearts are, are flooded with light. It's like, I want the eyes of your heart to see clearly. It's like if you're in a dark room and you can't see anything, you can't see the, the, your hand in front of your face and you flip on a flashlight and all of a sudden it's just, he's like, I want the eyes of your heart to be able to see. I want you to see so that you can have a confident hope, right? So that you can understand in the confident hope that we have. See, here's the deal. Life happens. And Paul's not saying, hey, just ignore it. Get, don't just ignore all the bad things and put your head in the sand and, and or just get over it. What Paul is saying, guys, I get it. I've experienced it personally. I could sit here for hours and tell you story after story of life and how it's beat me down and tried to discourage me. But what I'm telling you is that if you could really see if you could see the big picture, if you had full perspective of what was going on and you could see it all at work, he says, you would not lose hope. Hold on to hope because there is more happening than you can possibly know, than you can possibly see. Paul is saying, hey guys, there is a grander plan. And then he says in 19, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He's saying, hey, the source of power for all of this is going to ultimately come through God. So some real quick handles when this idea of kicking cynicism in the teeth. It's like, hey, be hospitable. Show hospitality. Be open. Welcome arms open. Number two, stay curious. Curious people are never cynical and cynical people are never curious. Stay curious and don't lose hope. Don't lose hope because the ultimate power here, Paul is saying, comes through Jesus. It comes through what we call the gospel or the good news. See, because here's what you need to know. God understands you God understands me. God understands our world. He understands how brutal we often are and how awful human nature can be. God sees how violent we can be toward one another. He sees the eight-year-old on the playground at his school in second grade. God sees that. He sees how how violent we can be toward one another and toward ourselves. He sees our cruelty. And without God's intervention into the narrative of the human story, life would be nasty and brutish and short. But here's the good news. 
Instead of letting our inhumanity have the final word, God entered the mess in human form through Jesus and conquered hate with love. See, we threw the worst of humanity directly at Jesus. Hatred, abuse, ridicule, rejection, even death. And God turned it into life. And not just life for himself, but life for us. Life for you, life for me, life for all of humanity. Life for even the very people who killed his son, Jesus. See, the cynics thought they were winning on the last Thursday of Jesus' life. They were certain they had the final word on Friday, the Friday that Jesus hung on a cross, what we call Good Friday. See, they were in control. Despair had won. I mean, even the the disciples, these 12 guys who had given up everything to follow Jesus and had walked with him for all of these years, even these 12 disciples thought it was over. I mean, they went home. They went back to fishing. But nobody, I mean, nobody saw Sunday coming. Nobody saw hope rising. No one saw love breaking from the ashes of hate. Nobody saw Jesus coming back. And the remarkable part of following Jesus, of believing in Jesus, is not that we have a Savior who can deliver us, but that we have a Savior who sees us for who we really are and loves us anyway. Jesus stared hate in the face and he met it with love. Jesus confronted despair and made it abundantly clear it would not win. The thrust of the gospel The good news of Jesus is that Jesus sees your hate and he meets it with love. Jesus sees your despair and he counters it with hope. He sees your doubt and he lobs belief back at you over and over and over again. Cynicism melts under the relentless hope of the gospel. And your past isn't your future. Your story is not over. The last chapter has not been written. Bitterness cannot linger under the relentless assault of love. Hope cannot die if the tomb is really empty and Jesus is alive. See, Jesus, friends, he kicks cynicism in the teeth, and you and I can too through the power of Jesus. So hope is not dead, and whatever you feel today or whatever you've experienced today or this past week, hope is not dead dead. And this is the invitation for you and for me. Receive hope. Reject cynicism. Trust again. Hope again. Believe again. And that's the good news for you and for me today. Man, well, thanks so much for listening today, guys. Make sure to tune in next week as we continue our series, It Happens. If you liked what you heard, Make sure to drop us a review and subscribe to our channel. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube by clicking the links in today's show notes. Have an awesome day and thanks again for listening.